now. Roman starts to get a little bit um, um, more theologically complex here. But so we're probably going to do this in two parts. So we're going to probably go to Romans 5, 1 to 12. So therefore, because we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace through God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, anytime you see therefore, there's an antecedent. An antecedent is just something that comes before. And so what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 5 here, he is summarizing the argument he started in Romans 3 verse 21. So Romans 3.21 is one complete um, coherent thought, right? That is like one argument, one kind of batch of literature that is making a point, right? And so he's summarizing from 21 all the way down to here, Romans 5. And therefore, as I said, is a summary. If this were, if, if this was mathematics, for example, that therefore would be an equal sign. So he's saying what he has said in 321 equals that we have been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one thing you have to understand. You cannot have peace with anyone until you have peace with God, until you have peace with your creator, because it comes from him. See, one of the things that we have to remember in the fall of mankind, a lot of these things that we don't have, God wants us not to have, because if we were complete, if we could have all of these things, nobody would look for God. Nobody would look for God. Has anybody ever heard of a song? By, and people don't realize that they're a Christian band. In fact, I use their theme on my radio by U2 from the 80s. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's a Christian song. They're a Christian band. And God causes us. You've heard of people when they say, oh, they're seeking. Well, everybody is seeking. They just don't know. It's Jesus. Something's missing. Right? People look for it in money, addictions, relationships, whatever. But now it's actually saying, therefore, because we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I know in my life, I never, ever, ever, ever had peace until I came to know the Lord. And we all say, okay, you don't look different when you come to salvation, but you behave differently. Have a supernatural peace that it doesn't matter what is going on. Because this peace is not based on circumstances. It transcends circumstances. It's this cohesive force inside of you. We are, we've heard statements like, oh, 
that person's fallen to pieces or they're falling apart. Well, cohesion is a force that brings everything together. You've heard of adhesion, which is what glue is an adhesive. It brings things together. This cohesive force of God in relationships is a spiritual force that brings things together. It transcends circumstance. And Jesus said, in this world, you have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world or have peace because I've overcome the world. Although, verse two, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So I want to read real quickly Isaiah verse 40, verse 3. A voice is calling in the wilderness, clear the way of Yahweh, make a highway smooth in the desert for our God. I want to read Isaiah 60, verse 19. The, sh the sun shall no longer be your light by day, and for bright light the moon shall not give you light. But Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God, your glory. Isaiah 61, verse 3 says, To give for those in mourning in Zion, to give them a, a head wrap instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh to show his glory. Uh, 62, uh, Isaiah 62, verse 2. And the nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you will be called a new name that the mouth of Yahweh will designate. So essentially, what is going on now is that we are on track, right, after salvation for the glory of God. And what is the glory of God, right? So what am I, what am I doing right now in teaching and in preaching? I have been called by God to, to have, and every preacher, teacher, has been called by God for God to get his creation back. This is how God does it, through the preaching of the truth. This is why I will never, ever compromise the truth for anybody, anybody. But this is how God gets his creation back. And this is how God ultimately gets his glory by God is not just taking it back. You know what? God is a God of heavy lifting. He does it fair and he does it fairly and squarely, right? So he's getting it back through teaching and preaching. And what are we talking about? The glory of God, the restoration of everything that God has made, the restoration everything being put right now clearly like you will hear people i remember uh, a client that had a fear one time of um having a 
um, a baby with Down syndrome, which is a genetic disorder. Now, anytime that there is imperfection, that doesn't bring God glory because he's made everything good. So we are talking about in the eschaton, eschaton is the last, eschatology is just a study of the last days. God is working on making everything right. But it starts here with salvation, right? It starts here with salvation. Um, and so, um, and, and verse three, and not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that the affliction produces endurance and patience, endurance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that's a rhetorical device. So what's a rhetorical device? A rhetorical device in literature is just a device that is used for uh, to emphasize a point. It's called a, a concatenation, which essentially links things together. Here's another example of a rhetorical device. Repetition. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, that's a rhetorical device for emphasis, for effect. This is how literature is constructed, these rhetorical devices to make a point. And so what God is saying here, and not only this, but we also... Robert, you're muted. Pastor Robert, you got muted somehow. Still can't hear you. Lord Jesus, work this out. Maybe, maybe he can, Sandy, maybe he can get more into the center. Yeah, I'm going to ask him that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, Ken, he was on fire. But you know that, that adversary is always trying to stop us from getting what we need. So he dropped, I guess. So he'll, he'll come back in. I don't know about you guys, but I have to take notes because if I don't take notes, I don't remember. <laughs> Let's get him, give him time to get back on. Thank you all for being patient. Glad to see you on Gracie. Yeah, he's connected. 
I see your picture, Robert. Pastor Robert, I see your picture. Welcome, Janet. Okay, so. Um, okay. Yeah, there you go. And you're much better in the center, too. We couldn't see all of you before, Pastor. So, okay, you was on fire. So get going, Lord Jesus. Uh, get him back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so essentially, what it's saying here is um, uh, we boast and we boast in our afflictions. Why is that? Concannotation, once again, a linking, right? A linking. So this is linking, right? This, these, these ideas now, right, are boasting our afflictions because you know that our uh, afflictions produces patience, patient endurance, and patient endurance then produces proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured, poured out in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so, uh, one thing that the Jews believed was that the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament was given to prophets and special people to speak on behalf of God. But Paul here now, what he is talking about, and I hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And what is the Holy Spirit doing uh, in, being poured out, poured, in being poured out in our hearts? It's pointing to Christ, right? So the Spirit points to the cross. And so it enables Christians to understand and to know God's love for us, right? Uh, so that's why he talks and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So if someone were to say to me, oh, I never had love from my parents. I never had love from anyone. Well, you know what? Now you do. Now you do because God has poured out all of this love into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to understand. Is all of our problems, every single person on this line, every one of your problems that's caused you to engage in bad behavior, is because of a lack of love. Trust me on this. It's a lack of love. Nobody's problem is as being a broken leg, a disorder. No, it's all emotional. In fact, actually, a broken leg has no emotion attached to it. So you're not going to have emotional problems from that. But a lack of relational love has problems attached with it. In fact, actually, a lack of it in itself is a problem. A lack of it in itself is a problem. And so what is 
God saying all of the relational problems that have caused bad behavior, once you understand this love of God that has been poured out into your hearts, they are all over. Come on, listen. Let's all face it. Many of us have run around and I'll be the first to put my hand up chasing for love after our parents, right? And it's never come. It has never, ever, ever come. And I'm not saying anyone parents are bad, but here's what I'm going to say. Many of our parents, and I know that that was the case with my own mother, she wasn't capable of giving me what I needed. I understand the dynamics of that family. Even though I was not born in that country where my parents came from, I studied it. I understand it. I understand the culture and their way of loving. There's like uh, making sure you were educated, making sure you had opportunity, all of that. But that's not going to do anything for you emotionally. There's going to be a big void. So you'll find a lot of people like that, incredibly successful, but incredibly empty emotionally, right? We need this love. And this is why this pouring out and hope does not disappoint. And we all know we had this hope of getting something. Maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, I'll get that love. And we also know it's kind of, it's not like this really conscious thing that you are chasing after. It's kind of like, not like this book that I'm chasing after. It's very amorphous. Amorphous means uh, no shape. It's, but you know that there's something that you need from this person that you never got. Well, what God says here, and hope does not disappoint. Now, the hope that we had in getting this from our mothers or fathers that we never got did disappoint. But look what God is saying. This love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us does not disappoint. In fact, I'm telling you, if you are saved, it means you've got this love. And if you are saved and you've got this love running around trying to get this love, from parents, siblings, aunts, uncle, wherever, you are setting yourself up to be disappointed. This is the problem with the enemy. God has done certain things, and we're still chasing around for the old things that have no that we have no guarantee, not even close of getting. And even if the person said, oh, yeah, Robert, okay, okay, I want to give you that love, but I'm not even capable of doing that. God is saying this hope that we have does not disappoint because it's right in there. We don't need to go anywhere. The Bible says that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And godliness, the loneliness, forget about loneliness, Ken. This more than covers it. This love eclipses all of that. You're making this too complicated by saying loneliness. This love eclipses loneliness, 
selfishness, you name it, really. Because if you if you are to actually start saying loneliness, then is what you will be saying. You'd be contradicting God's word because now it does disappoint because he hasn't covered loneliness. When God has said, he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. When God has said in Ephesians 1 verse 3, all things have been laid, all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places have been given to us in Christ. This is why we have to think differently. Really, we have to, this is humongous. This is cosmic. Really. And if we don't, we'll be chasing down these rabbit holes for things that we've already been given. Really. And my chase of my mother, it was so laborious. And you know what, as well, is what really, it really is disappointing to do all of the chase, all of the work and end up empty handed. Or empty hearted. But look what God says. God has already poured it out into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what a prayer should be there is, Lord God, let all of the things you have done for me and given to me, let them all be realized and experienced in my life as of today. Really, make that a prayer because we are chasing around still looking for many of these things and we are all set and the lie of the enemy is when jesus said it is finished is it is finished it's all being complete then verse six for while we were still helpless yet at the proper time christ died for the ungodly. So I can take this now, really, in regards to our, our parents, what God is talking about. Now, many of us who didn't get enough or any at all, God is talking about an abundance. And God is also talking about how it's been given to everyone, because it would be very easy to say, well, I wasn't lovable. You know, I didn't get it from my mother, my in fact, I heard someone today talking about how he is less favored than uh, uh, his siblings. But look what God actually constructs now for emphasis to let you know that you've been given this for why we're still helpless. Yet at the proper time, Christ died for the ungodly. So Christ died for, for his enemies, ungodly. Because we know Christ is godly, but he died for the ungodly. For only, and in Greek thought, the attitude was, for only, rarely will someone even die on behalf of a righteous person. Right? On behalf of a good person, possibly someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Now, that, that would be very, very difficult, right, to, to uh, misinterpret. So someone could misinterpret uh, love by saying, well, 
My parents put food on the table. They clothed me. They gave me a, a, a shelter. But you could misinterpret that. And so, but you could not misinterpret the contrast here because he's talking about the ungodly. And now we're talking about God, right? So if God would die for someone who is ungodly, so you can take away the favoritism of your siblings, die for someone who is ungodly, being God, then clearly that sacrifice is something that you can arrogate to yourself, right? That you can now say, well, that's mine, right? That is mine. Very difficult. Some people cannot say that with their parents. Oh, yeah, spend more time with my sibling here, blah, 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 all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, they throw me a bone here and there. No, that's, that's, this is not talking about that. This is not nebulous. This is very, very, very unambiguous, meaning that there's no lack of clarity here. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son by much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. So you can't say, oh, that's only for my brother. Oh, that's only for my sister. No, because it is very clear that it's not. It's for the ungodly. And not only this, but also we are boasting in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation, uh, we have received this reconciliation. So really, here's what should happen when this resonates. What should happen is the shackles from the past should all come off. You should have a new sense of who you are. This is what the word of God should do the word of god is not kind of good psych yourself up stories the word of god is existential reality it's a reality for you to experience to become a part of who you are right and in experiencing it should change how you think about things Right, should change how you see yourself. And, and so whatever damage parents have done, this totally, totally lifts off all of those shackles of restrained beliefs of less than, of low self-esteem, of not being as important as your older brother or younger sister or whatever. This should now really tell you that you are as good as anybody because God went through all of this trouble to give you what your earthly parents could not give you. You know, Jesus says, right, which one of your parents, if you ask for bread, will give you a rock? But then what does Jesus say? And your earthly parents be, being evil. 
how much more God wants to give you good things. And so understanding that reality, or I'm not going to even say understanding, understanding and experiencing that reality should change how you think about yourself. Loneliness, as Ken said, that should be swallowed up with this. And if it's not, see, if it's not, what do we say to God? Well, give me something else. It wasn't complete. No, no, no. Here's all you have to say. What's blocking this? Right? And so this chunk of reality that I just gave to you, Romans 5, verse 11, this alone should bring about a change in your reality. Because here's what the word of God does. The word of God is alive and powerful. So the word of God is not like motivating words from a Tony Robbins. The word of God is existential reality. It's a word that is waiting to become a part of your experience, a part of who you are, right? I mean, we have a meal, right? And there's digestion, then there's uh, um, uh, assimilation, right? Where we assimilate. And so essentially you have a meal of protein, right? That protein becomes a part of who you physically are. Well, you have a meal of God's word. It becomes an existential part, a part of your experience. Now, how you see yourself, how you think, what you believe about yourself. That's how the word of God is. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to go and actually see deficits inside of yourself and actually fulfill those deficits. Like an MRI can show you what's wrong, but it can't fix what's wrong. The word of God can show you what's wrong and then he can fix it also. So I am going to say with anyone now, really this Roman 5, uh, 1 to 11, it should be your task moving forward, whether it be between now and next week or between now and wherever. This is going to become a part of my reality. See, anybody that understands this addiction or a desiring to self-destruct will go away. Will go away. 